today's class is actually very important for practitioner and for the lay people. Uh, when you're new to the when you're new to Buddhism, the idea the what is required of you in developing virya energy, uh, what is required of you for your own practice is important. But for a practitioner, is very important. You see, you look at your you look at the thirty seven factors of enlightenment, right? And the fact that if you look through that list of 37 factors of enlightenment, this guy features in almost everything. It didn't feature only in one of them, which is the four foundations of mindfulness. But in everything else, it's there. And that alone should tell you that this condition, the, the mental state of virya, is so critical to the practice. So critical to the practice. Now, what is virya? Literally, we go and take the Pali dictionary. Literally, it means energy, vigor, effort, strength. You are looking at it essentially at two levels. At one level, it is just the, the, the amount of mental resources that you can pull out in the mind, the strength that you can pull out for a practice, okay? It's all about the, the strength for a practice, the mental strength for a practice. Um, that's at one level. At another level, it's about keep going. Your strength is enough to get you started and to keep you going. And you won't give up. Okay? Now, for a new Buddhist who is not realized, who is not, who is not practicing yet, just very new to the game, the word virya, what is it for? It is to build morality. It is actually synonymous, it works together with morality. You generate effort to exercise restraint on the mind. I've said again and again that our normal mind, the normal individual, the national average individual's mind, tends to be very instinctively negative. That's the scary part. Instinctively negative. Because we are very territorial creature. We, our instinct is to protect what's ours. We come from, um, let's just say that our genes came from a time when society was a lot harsher. And your genes enable you to survive, you as a species to survive. For you to be able to survive, you need to be able to fight or run very fast. And, 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 and as they say, you don't have to run faster than the creature. You only have to outrun the fellow running next to you. So he die, you survive. Chop, 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 chop. Eat him, la, then you survive. La. So you can see how n nasty our instincts can be. In this practice, for the nominal Buddhists, the first thing you do is to learn how to restrain those negative instincts. The first thing that we do. 
So the Buddha tells you, do good, do no evil. That's the first step. Do no evil is the part about the precepts. So you don't kill, you don't take what's not given, you don't commit sexual misconduct. Why this one's so unique? Because humans are very much driven by sexual instincts. And in the old days, during the Buddha's time, you can just imagine that might is right. And men tend to force themselves on the woman. In these are old days. We know these days they don't do that anymore. Lah. But in the old days, they did. Okay? Don't say that. <laughs> Must delete it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, the instinct of the mind is also to, be, to do things in its own convenience. And therefore, sometimes telling untruth is convenient. Fudging the truth is convenient. So therefore, telling the truth is not instinctive. Fudging it is instinctive. Then you don't get into trouble, ma. Then you, life is easier, ma. Ah, okay. So that's very instinctive. Uh, the liquor part is a unique Buddhist addition. Originally, in the time of the Buddha, there were only four rules. Don't kill. Don't take things not given. Don't impose yourself sexually on another. And don't lie. In the time of the Buddha, those were the, key, the four key restraints. But unique to Buddhism, as a result of a misbehaving conduct by an intoxicated monk, the Buddha then set the rule about uh, exercising restraint, avoid intoxicants. The rules came about much later. And it makes sense because if you were to take a little bit of liquor, actually it doesn't, it doesn't cause any problem. It's when you take too much, then it causes problems. Okay? But anyway, that's a, that's a separate story. The point is that these are very basic rules. And it's, if you are going for the lowest standard, right? if you're going only for the lowest standard, then that's it. You don't kill, you don't steal, you tell the truth, that's it. But if you're going for one step higher, you're practicing Buddhist, you say, I want to do it a bit better. The same five, uh, the same five has a correlation. Eh? The part that says you don't kill actually says you honour life. You respect life. And by respecting life and honouring life, it means you show consideration for others. So you don't kill is lowest of the bar. A practising Buddhist takes it higher. We respect lives. We save lives. That's why you go into the we function. That's why you go into that level, you see. You say, oh, higher and get higher and higher. Higher and higher means like that. Lah. From not killing to saving. But if you're not normal, normal day usually don't have opportunity to save life. Lah. So normal days, what do you do? You merely respect another. You will treat another being as you would want yourself to be treated. So that you don't want, you don't want to be scolded. You don't want to be treated unfairly, you don't want to be abused, beaten up and so on and so forth, then you accord the same respect to another. That's, a, that's about life. The stealing part, again, very low bar. Asking you not to steal is very low bar. You take it way higher into the 
what a Buddhist should be doing would be to give. You don't take, instead you give. By giving, your heart opens up. Can you see that? That correlation? And you give not just money. You give time. You give a part of yourself. You give Dhamma. Different gradations of gifts. And sometimes they say, oh, you give until it hurts. No need to hurt one. Nah. Seriously. <laughs> you should give until you have joy. As opposed to you give until it hurts. It's not about hurting, you know. It's about, about, about having joy in giving. You must always remember, when you give, you must derive joy from the process. Then your heart, your mind opens up. If you don't derive joy, your mind doesn't open properly. Okay? Sexual misconduct. It's about upholding your promise to another. Imposing your will is easy. Respecting another when the person says no is a bit harder. Upholding a, mar a marriage vow. Honouring that respect actually is not easy. Why? Because the instinct of human race is to have a roving eyes. The instinct is to look around. Because the, the, the intent of you being attracted to another being is so that you can procreate and produce the next generations and generations. So the instinct is to look around. It's all driven inside there. The restraint is for you to undertake so that you don't go and cheat and break somebody's heart. Telling, not telling lies, tough, pushing it to a higher level actually is about seeing the truth as it is. Seeing the truth and be absolutely honest to yourself. Ultimately, this thing about lying, uh, ultimately, is about seeing the mind as it is. Right? Because not telling lies, as I said, is a very low bar. But if you are a practitioner, then what do you do? Don't tell lies, then don't say anything, keep quiet, don't say anything. No, in your mind, tell the truth. Exactly what's a fact. Your mind has to practice the mind has to practice to see objective, something objectively, as objectively as it can. It's not easy. You see, ultimately, this practice, the success of this practice, is can you see the mind as it is? And we all know it's so difficult to see the mind. It's so difficult. And you have to see the mind until it's very, very subtle. So in the process of getting to a point where your mind can see itself, that it's a very long journey of training yourself how to see truth objectively as it is. And you make no excuse about it. If you find your mind making excuses, you know your mind has a problem. When it wants to go and see, the, see itself, it's going to be very difficult. Because the habit of the mind that you're carrying, the habit is to create story, is to do Hollywood. That's a problem. You see what I'm saying? It has to be able to see one is one. And if it were to see that one, it can even see it down to the, oh, one is but a bunch of dots. 
It's that level of resolution, that clarity. When you want to get to that state, huh? you have to practice, huh? practice very hard. And in daily life, in daily life, you are able to differentiate in your mind huh? the different degree of truths down to that level of clarity. It means this, it doesn't mean this. Your mind is very clear, that clarity. You don't fudge it. If you, learn, if you notice that your mind likes to fudge around the truth, you also got a problematic mind. This mind got problems seeing Dhamma. Okay? That's how sharp it is. And the last one is just uh, observing uh, the restraint from taking intoxicants. That one is quite straightforward. I don't even want to go into details about that. Now, that is not doing wrong. There's a whole bunch of doing right. Do good. And the do good bit I wrote down there, there are 10 of them. 10 of them. The do, the avoid doing 10 evil deeds and the doing 10 good ones. Okay? Two different sets, 20 of them. Not difficult, actually quite straightforward. The 10 evil one first. Huh? Three of them deals with action. Four of them deals with speech, and the last three deals with the mind. Three action, four speech, three minds. The three action have already been covered under the precepts. So no killing, no stealing, no sexual misconduct. The four speech, one of which is no lies. The other three, no harsh speech, don't use angry words. Avoid angry words. No um, slander, i.e. you gossip in order to undermine people. Talk bad about people. And you know what's really strange? We do have a tendency to love a good gossip. Huh? We do have a tendency to love a good gossip. It's like the mind can't help enjoying a scandal, you know? That's why the those more pao, small one pao can sell, right? Today, today it's good. Hey, is it today? Uh? New paper, new paper. Uh, sell, yeah, sell. Okay. Um, the last one, which we all tend to say what's wrong with that, it's called uh, um, frivolous talk. In Pali, it's called sampapalapa. Okay, frivolous talk. Then you say, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with talking about the weather? What's wrong about talking? Uh, what's wrong with talking about uh, all kinds of little small things you have you have you had your meal? What's wrong with that all? What's wrong with talking about my garden today? Very nice. What's wrong with that? You see, if you are a practitioner, as long as you're not talking dhamma, your mind needs to work and create thoughts and generate a lot of activities. If you are a practitioner, you don't want your mind to generate a lot of activities, right? Because we're talking about practitioner path. If it generates a lot of activities, your mind is preoccupied with construction exercises. It is not free to be looking at itself. It is too busy cooking. How to see the mind? You see what I'm saying? You want to see the mind. Be quiet. And the only way you can see the mind is you stop 
mental activities and just sit there and watch. I, I kid you not. Uh. The real practice when it comes to it, right, is you sit there, you do nothing, you stare at it. Then you say, wow, like nothing to do, a lot of things to do. When you start looking at your mind, you'll find that one hour not enough for you to see. You're actually watching it, you're not, one hour not enough for you to see. Because it takes a while to settle down, for the sediment to all settle down, so that it is ready to see. It takes a long while. Then what do we do in daily life? We go and have a lot of activity, da, 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 all the activities, right? And then when you sit that time, you take a longer while to settle down. Cannot. So frivolous talk, the problem with frivolity is that your mind gets hyper-excitable or it is restless, it becomes restless. When you engage in too much of frivolity, right? if you engage in too much of it, the mind becomes restless. It is like that. And when the mind becomes restless, it's like a child on a sugar high. When the mind gets restless and it spins all over the place, you want to bring it down, it's going to take a long while. And it's going to be very problematic. It's going to, it's going to um, inflict a cause on your mind in order to calm it down. It's going to be painful. Okay. Then the three which deals with the mind are covetousness, ill will, the three of them are covetousness, ill will, and wrong view. I'll explain each one. You, these are not so familiar to a lot of people. Covetousness is a mind that wants. Greedy. Constantly grasping. Grasping. So it is loba. The three of them is actually loba, dosa, moha, you see. So loba... L-O-B-H-A means greed, means wanting, wanting. Um, the emphasis here is to take in, to bring it in, as opposed to giving out. When you want it inwards, this mind of doing this, this, this action of grasping, actually causes your mind to narrow down. A narrow mind is a hard mind. A hard mind can't see. Okay. The other one, which is anger, ill will. Ill will, patiga, same thing. This one also becomes very hard. You go and watch your own mind when it is angry, right? It's very rock solid. It can't see. An angry mind, which is very hard, can't see. Can't see dhamma. Can't be at peace. It's so hard. All it wants is just rock around. Not a steady rock, okay? This kind of rock is landslide on. Can kill. It's not a good one, okay? And it's very hard. People say things cannot penetrate. So, you see, look, your child, right? Your little kid. When they are angry, you try to explain things to them. They are not listening. They will not listen. They can't hear you. And it's like that. No? So you have to calm the mind down, make it light. Make it happy, and then it's open to listening. The third one, wrong view. Typically, it is explained as 
not seeing the world through four noble truths, not understanding the world through the Dhamma, four noble truths, eightfold path. Okay, let me give you an example what it means. Huh? You think about it. In a normal day-to-day -day life, we sometimes get into conflict with people. It's normal, right? Sometimes you have your views, I have my views, we have differences. It's normal. If underpinning your instincts, underpinning it, is the sense that things are impermanent, they come and they go, there is no I in it. The more I fight for something, the more painful it is. If underpinning your instinct is like that, right? Then the odds are you won't fight. The odds are you wouldn't clash. But normal day to day, we are not mindful of this at all. Four noble truth, eight four path is something you hang on the wall. Eh. Then you go home at night, you go and bow to the Buddha, you just remember it. But day to day, if you're not a practitioner, you don't remember it. You remember it, they are words. Chances are you don't remember it. Chances are when we get upset, when someone cut queue, right? You don't remember this for noble truth, for path. <laughs> yes, yes, you're cutting my queue. Chances are. So this wrong view, it is not a view per se. It's your mind at a point when you are encountering the world. The state of mind when you are looking at the world, dealing with the world. That's all. And in that state of mind, looking at the world, you're back to your normal self. You're back to your national average self. And the national average self typically does not have four noble truths, eight four path as an underpinning principle through which it looks at the world. Not that. In fact, the typical normal self will look at the world through I, my space, my face, my sui or not. The normal typical self it's all about self. This is how I look at the world. Where I got found noble through a full path? Seriously. What does it even mean? Typically. But when you become a when you take on a practitioner path and you're very serious about it, and you really want to see the Dhamma, over time, and it takes a, it's, it takes a while, over time, this path this mindset begins to sink into you. Over time, it becomes more habitual. You keep doing it, you keep reminding yourself, you keep reflecting on dukkha, anicca, anatta, right? You keep doing that. You, when you remember, you do that. After a while, this becomes the new lens. You start to switch your lens really, okay? When that happens, this wrong view that governs your perspective starts to shift. It will start to shift. It's building new habits, new kusala, skillful habits. Now, why would a non-practitioner be so concerned about 
do good, do no evil. Oh, sorry, sorry, before I forget, uh, I have to talk about the 10 Kusala first. The 10, I've, I've talked about all the negative, now I must talk about the positive, okay? Positive, actually, I've mentioned it before, I think, in this class, have I? Dana, Sila, Bhavana, Apachayana, Weyawacha. Patanumodana. Okay. Okay, I haven't, huh? Okay. Ten, ten of them. Um, the first one, giving. Dana is to give. Be generous. The intent behind giving is the opening up of the mind and the lifting of the heart. When you give, you should be joyous. You should really be happy that you had a chance to give. That you even have the means to give. I love that story about how this man and a wife take turns to wear one outside clothes to go see Buddha and make their offerings and so on. They are so poor, they make minimal offering. Minimal. But it gave them so much joy. That kind of joy is what you will remember when the time comes for you to move on, right? That kind of joy is the power, is that Duracell that bumps you to the next good life, you see. It's very powerful. Joy in the heart, if done correctly, is very powerful. It's your spacecraft that lifts you, okay? So dana, giving. The second one is sila, which is morality. Just morality. Uh, the precepts, the observing the precepts. Restraining the mind. The intent behind the second one is to restrain your negative instincts so that the positive ones can surface. Okay? The third one is bhavana. Meditation. The intent of bhavana for the, the normal uh, person is essentially spend time for your mind to quieten down. Just spend time, give your mind time to quieten down. You must always do that. The mind needs time to heal. Even if you don't find your, if even if you find yourself not quite a meditator, you don't enjoy it. Doesn't matter. Go sit quietly 10 minutes. Just let your mind rest and let your mind settle down and let your mind be at peace just for a short while. Has to do that, must do that. Daily. And enjoy it. Don't say, oh dear, 10 minutes, I must now sit. Oh, like that cannot lah. Like that, 9 upon 10, assuming you do all the other 9. This is very important. Huh? If you do it right, this is the moment your mind elevates. That's how important it is. If you do it wrong, this is the moment your mind goes to sleep and then get very fed up. Because I am not doing anything useful, you say. Never mind, just do it right. Eventually, you do it right. Initially, maybe get it a bit wrong. Normal. But eventually, you'll get it right. Give up time. So, bottom line, give mind time to settle down, to rest, to heal. And if you do it right, to alleviate. Okay? Because the normal mind is very stressed. 
the normal mind has a lot of punches to it on an average day. Every time you get annoyed, every time you, you have the arising of craving, every time you feel this stress or restlessness, the mind suffers a blow. A blow. And if you do this, if, if you have above average hits, above average hits, or you are a, a less resilient person because you, you carry the, the punches in your mind. When I say resilient, I don't mean weak or strong. I merely mean people, some people they can drop it and don't think about it. Some people can't. You scold them, right? They will remember. They don't know how to let it go. So what happens is, you punch them once, then they go home and punch themselves 1,000 times. <laughs> can you imagine that? Now you know why the fellow goes crazy. Whereas the ones who know how to just drop it, right? You punch them once, they only got half the punch. <sighs> Painful. You know what I mean? You punch them once, then they only remember half. Then they go off there. As they walk away, they drop, 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 then nothing left. So they, they heal. Whereas some people, I know of people uh, who cannot punch once and then take it for life, you know. They carry this burden for life. 40 years later, they still talk about being punched once. It's not poor thing, right? So this type of people, the mind never heals. It will just carry and carry and carry and the pain will continue. Okay? So, Dana, Sila, Bhavana, okay. The next lot, the two of them deals with trying to bring down your own ego. It's about trimming your ego. One of them deals with respecting another. Respecting another. The other one deals with service to another. And usually, they will say that, oh, it's respecting one worthy of respect. And then the other one, the, the next one says, uh, you uh, do service to someone worthy of service. If you look at the Pali words, uh, there aren't all these extra tag on, you know. The Pali word merely says, respect for another, service to another. The tag on may be the result of, along the way, people make it more palatable. Uh, more palatable. Because when you need to show respect to another, you've got to bring your own ego down. Otherwise, if your ego is very large, if your name carries a lot of prefix and suffix type, uh, your majesty, the soul, that kind of, can you just imagine how to bring yourself down a bit? Really, the name's so big, they're so long, <laughs> so many suffixes you know, and prefixes. Problematic, right? So this thing about being able to show respect to another, especially if the guy is not particularly worthy of respect, ah, then you're, you, you, have, you have arrived. Say for instance, let me just give you an example. When we look at someone who is able to say thank you to the guy who sweeped the floor, you look at him and say, hey, this guy is a nice guy, yeah? right? You look at him and say, why do we even say that? When we see someone showing respect to the chap who wipes your table, to the guy who sweeps the floor, and so on and so forth, we look at this guy who shows that respect 
and we say, hey, he's a nice guy. Why do we even say that? And that is because most people don't do that. Most people instinctively don't see people who help them, who serve them. Most people don't see them, let alone say thank you. So the fact that someone acknowledges these guys and treat them as equal, your instinct is to say, oh, this is a bit different, huh? quite a nice guy. That's why we can see it and we get it way higher. You see that? Any one of us here will have no problem bowing to a very good monk. So what's the big deal? But ask us to bow our head to, say, a person who is just cleaning the floor, washing your car. Must we do that? Why do we have to do that? You don't have to do that. My point is, to show respect to someone high is no big deal. To show respect to someone you consider not your equal is the bigger deal. But the fact that you see someone not your equal means you've got a problem, really. See that? And unfortunately, the world is like that. Unfortunately, the world is like that. We have what we call mana, ego. Only the arahan drops that. So we go around positioning ourselves, 100 percentile, 90 percentile, 80 percentile, 70, down to the zero percentile. We go around like that. And the lower we are in the mind, the more we compare. The higher we are in our mind, the less we compare. You think about it. I can almost bet my last dollar here, none of you will go around comparing who's richer, my watch nicer than yours. We all got this kind of real standard. No? When you come with the watch. <laughs> do we do that? We don't. I, I, I'm pretty sure there will a whole bunch of us. We don't go around carrying a bag that says, you see my bag, Prada, Prada. <laughs> we don't do that. But, but, you know people who do that. You know people who do that. And the more you practice, the more you're going to say that don't, there is no need to do that. You see what I'm saying? So you kind of elevate. So therefore, therefore, the more practice you are, the less you're going to compare. The less practice you are, the more there is a need to compare. Why is that? Because the eye is fragile, you see. Your eye is very fragile. You have to give it meaning. You have to give it to elevate it. And if you are so conscious of your eye, and yet very conscious that it's fragile, then it's very important for you to tag a lot of things on this eye to carry so that the eye can go compare well. In your own mind, because everyone else is thinking theirs is more important. There's a whole bunch of suns comparing each other. S-U-N, not S-O-N. A whole bunch of galaxies comparing each other. I've got 20 planets. How many you have? Two. <laughs> you only two planets, so no standard. <laughs> so a lot of these comparisons going on. Now, so these two about service and about respect is essentially for us to manage our ego, for us to let go. So the more we can bow and show respect and show consideration, and help another, the more we are letting this ego rest and let it down. Okay? Okay, so that's two of them. Then you have two more that deals with transferring of merits. This is actually to do with gratitude. 
One is to do with gratitude. Gratitude to even beings unseen. To, to give to all. To remember everything. Every beings that had done something for you. So in something that you had done good, done well, you want to just share happily with, with beings, with the world. Okay? So the other one is to say that when someone else is doing it, we, we are happy for them. Sometimes, uh, no, no, again, this class doesn't count. This is a good class. This is a practitioner class. Okay? Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, if you think about it, right, sometimes when someone does something right, you will find people being jealous. <laughs> exactly, you know? Exactly. So, when you can rejoice in another person doing good, doing right, it shows that your heart is open. It really means you have a nice, open, giving, sharing heart. So, as you grow in this path, as you grow in this path, you will find that your pettiness, your inability to be happy for another, those will change. It will, start, it will start to go away. Once upon a time, it's harder for you. As you practice more, it becomes easier and easier. And one day, it's second nature. Okay? That's how you grow. The last three deals with Dhamma. To listen to Dhamma, to share Dhamma, to clarify Dhamma. Very important. You basically need to feed the mind on nutritional stuff, good stuff. And Dhamma is as nutritional as it gets. So Dhamma is good because it lifts the mind. If you come across pure Dhamma, true Dhamma, it will lift your mind, for sure. If you find your mind sinking, right, there's something wrong there. You should make a beeline for the, you should make a beeline for the door. And you don't go away, okay? Just stick around. <laughs> okay, so that is the do good, do no evil bit. And why would uh, nominal Buddhists be so concerned about this? Because I'm assuming that you believe in karma. If you think about it, it says, okay, I, 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 I'm a Buddhist, I do believe in karma. Then you want to be on the correct side of karma. That you had put in the correct conditions in the mind for practice, for spiritual growth. You want to put in the correct condition for practice, for spiritual growth, for spiritual maturity, realization. You don't put in the condition, it won't happen. You want to grow a plant, you better have a seed in there. No seed, you can water, you can give it fertilizer, nothing is coming out other than moss. Yes? But if you want to grow a plant, you put in the seed of your plant. Uh, don't put the wrong seed. La. You want to grow a coconut tree, you put in a mango plant, a uh, seed. It ain't going to come out with a coconut tree. So you want to see Dhamma. You want to realize Dhamma. You want to experience Dhamma. Then you've got to plant the right thing that will sprout the Dhamma fruits. 
And these conditions are preconditions. You have to restrain the negativities of the mind. You've got to promote the positivities. Negativities are all those anger instincts, craving instincts, the instincts that tell you, don't heck care about Dhamma, what's the problem? Just do whatever you want. Those instincts must go. And they're very dangerous. Because the moment you give in to them, right, it's easy for them to proliferate. Gratification, sure, let's do it again. Gratification, sure, man. Uh, if you don't want to do, if you, if you say that Dhamma is not important, next life then start. That kind of thought uh, can really lock you into the next life then start thought. This life, no need. Next life, you're so sure you got a brain can think. Uh. Have you even done the right thing to make sure that your brain, you, got, you, 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 you choke a place, you choke a brain that can think? Have you even done the right thing to make sure you choke that brain? And how do you choke that brain? You actually choke the brain by reflecting on Dhamma. In order for you to be guaranteed that in your next life as a human being, you've got a brain that can think, you actually got to start reflecting on Dhamma in this life. Then why you say, why so biased one? Huh? Because in order to see Dhamma, you have to exercise the brain tremendously in a certain way. For sure. You've got to exercise it in a certain way. You've got to teach the brain how to see things objectively. You have to teach the brain how to be calm, how to be quiet. You have to see, teach the brain how to think through logic, see it logical, uh, judge correctly. You're teaching your brain how to think. Having that kind of practice then means that if you were to be reborn as a human, those instincts are intact. You will come out and go to the gifted program, man. Like that, law. <laughs> come on, you can play piano. People are going. What did, I, what did I just produce? Nothing to do with you. It's all about the karma, the the dhamma of the past life. Okay, that's quite nice, huh? For meditators, this I need you to understand this very, very clearly. You see, uh, Viriya doesn't, in itself, it doesn't take you into Nibbana, in itself, by itself. But without Viriya, without this step, it's impossible to penetrate, to go through. Okay? So you have to understand how to do this correctly. These are the four right strivings. What for? A bhikkhu generates desire. You want it. You generate. It is created. You want for the non-arising of bad, unwholesome states which are not there. Meaning to say, if in your mind there is no negativities, no Unreason, bad, unwholesome state, you must want not for them to come up. The word here is you generate desire for non arising, right? 
generate desire for non-arising. You must want for them not to come up. Okay? And you, you see what he went, he went on to say? Make effort, arouses energy, arouses energy, applies the mind, strife. You make an effort, it's the start point. To arouse energy requires a bit more effort. You remind yourself, applies the mind, and you try and you try and you try. It's not easy. Basically, this point tells you, in order to avoid negativity from coming up, you've got to put in a lot of effort. From start point to the end, you want to, you must want to do it, you must put effort to do it. In the midst of it, you need to remind yourself and you've got to constantly remember. Not easy. And this is the first of four efforts. So when we talk about virya, it is to achieve this. Huh? It is to achieve the state of mind where it is clean. So you make every attempt to make sure that the negativity that's not there stays not there. Part one. If it has already surfaced. So that's the next one. A reason, bad, unwholesome state. Came up already. You're too late. If it's already there, you generate desire for letting it go, abandoning it. So you think about it, right? There are times when you can't help but be angry. Can't help but be angry. And then you let yourself be angry. That's the trouble. You can't help but be angry is the first one. It came out. It's not there, but you let it come out. Then now that it's there and you are aware, what did you do? You let it stay. That's the problem. Same thing. You may not have greed for something. It didn't cross your mind, that, that, that thing you want. Then you suddenly say, hey, I want me. Ah, the greed has a reason. I want it. But instead of telling yourself, jam it there, stop it there, let it go there, you went, I want, I really want, I must now figure out how to want it, get it. By generating desire, what it means is it's your choice. You can choose to do it or you can choose not to do it. You choose to do it, you have to put in a lot of effort to make sure that you're on the right track. That's what it means. And Buddha recognises that it's very difficult. That's why he used so many words to say from beginning to the middle to the end, you You generate desire is the beginning. You apply the effort, it's the middle. You strive, it's the end, all the way. You apply the mind, you want it, you apply your mind. Okay? All these things are there. That's the bad one. Now comes the good. These are mental states. By the way, uh, the word unwholesome is also called skillful. Skillful. 
Kusala akusala. Kusala, wholesome, it's also skillful. Why skillful? You tell me. Is it easier to give in to your craving or fight it? Clearly, fighting craving is harder than giving in to craving. So, it takes more skill to overcome negativity instincts. It takes more skill. In that sense, something kusala is skillful. Something akusala is unskillful. It's easy. You want to just eat and eat and eat. Very easy. Well, just walk to the kitchen and you know, get the food and eat. That's easy, ma. Now, the next one says, you generate desire for the arising of unarisen wholesome state. Meaning to say, the kusala, the skillful states are not there. You want them to come up. You generate desire for them to come up. And if you find that your mind has given, you know, your mind is full of metta, your mind is full of compassion, these are all wholesome states, then you want them to proliferate. You generate desire for the persistence of the arisen wholesome state. So the wholesome states, the skillful states, if they are already there, proliferate. If you have got metta, bring up the metta. If you have karuna, compassion, bring up the compassion even more, proliferate. If you have giving in your heart, give. These are powerful, joyous state. If you have a mind that is quiet, that is still, keep it still. Okay, this is the usual, typical explanation for virya. Right striving. But this is just one of them. Huh? It's the second one that is even more interesting. This is in Anguttara Nikaya, Book of Form, Under Striving, page 401, Bhikkhu Bodhi's book. The thick book. It is so thick, I actually used it for carrying weight at one stage, <laughs> <laughs> for practicing weight. How many kilo? Uh? Uh, four. four kilo, very good. I can practice more. Okay. This is the one that I need to draw your attention to. This particular version is not often seen, but this version is very powerful for the practice. Okay? You look at the words. Huh? The first one, Samvera. This is a correlation of the previous one. Remember what I said? For a, re for a mental state that is unwholesome, not there, you keep it out. Just now earlier, right? If it's not there, you don't let it come up. If it's already there, get rid of it. If you have a good state which is not there, you bring it up. If it is already there, you grow it. This is a correlation of that four. Okay? It's a correlation of four, but you look at the way the Buddha said. Now he gives you an object to use for the four of them. The first one. What? is striving by restraint. The word samwara is restraint. The one where you are, negativity hasn't come out, block it. Okay? And it deals with 
your six your six sense bases effectively your six sense bases. So I use one of them, call it the form. Your eye, the eye, catching sight of one form. Having seen a form with the eye, a bhikkhu does not grasp nimitta anubhyajana. Nimitta, which has been translated as marks. Anubhyajana has been translated as features. Let me explain this. Huh? When you see something, first you get a form. Right? You have a form. You look at it more closely, you see the details. This particular one is a practitioner. Remember, this is practitioner. This is how you're supposed to do it. When you see something, you don't even see the details. You don't see the... F you don't... You, it, it's a state... Think of it as a state of seeing, seeing. When your mind is in a state of seeing, seeing, the mind sees an object and doesn't register the features of the object because it's more into seeing, seeing. i explain again. Huh? When you are caught up with object, when you are caught up with an object, you will look at the object and you are caught up with the object. But in this particular state, you will not look at the object, you're looking at the mind looking at the object. And when you see the mind seeing the object, when you see seeing, the object you know is there, but you are not paying attention to it. So you are being aware, you are aware, you can see things, you can hear things, but you're not caught up by the objects. And you are aware that you are seeing. That's all. Okay. No thoughts. No thoughts. You see a bag and you see seeing a bag. I like it, I like the colour. Then you have gone into the bag. <laughs> <laughs> then you have gone into the bag. This... What? Is it the father bag? <laughs> then you have gone into the anubhyajana of the bag. See what I'm saying? Okay. If you were to merely know that you are seeing a bag, you know you're seeing a bag, but you're not even interested in looking closely at that bag. You know you're seeing a bag, but that's it. No desire. Not, don't have, at this point, don't have. Because you are seeing a mind seeing a bag. See seeing, okay? And when you see seeing, when you see seeing, you are not caught up with the bag. You know it's a bag, but you are not even looking at that bag. You just register a bag, that's it. But if you look at the bag, now you see the bag. And then now you see the price tag. And you see the brand name. Then you have gotten into not just Nimita. Nimita is just seeing the bag. Okay? But if you had gone into what's in the bag, <laughs> let's examine the details. Then you have gone into the Anubhyajana into the details, okay? And the Buddha went on to say, 
since if left, if he left the eye faculty unrestrained, bad, the word is bad, but the Pali word is the word papaka, which is evil. And the, the other Pali word, unwholesome written here, he, he, he used akusala. Longing and dejection, the word the Buddha used, abidja dommanasa. Abidja, remember what I said earlier about the 10 negative, the 10 akusala acts? And I said the mind, three of them, the first one, covetousness, is abidja. Okay? So, what the Buddha is saying is, if you are always looking at objects and get yourself drawn into objects, instead of see-seeing, the mental state of see-seeing, but instead you are always looking at objects, looking at getting caught up with objects, it means your eye faculty is not guarded. You're not guarding your eye faculty. And when you don't guard your eye faculty, the possibility is you will get caught up. And when you get caught up, you will feel emotional angst. Abhijja is you want it. When something you're not guarding, you will, your instinct is to want it. Brother back, you want it. And when you want it and you don't get it, domanasa, grief. Very strong words. Buddha used very strong words. Abhijja, domanasa, very strong words. Okay? Might invade him. Might invade him. May or may not. If you don't guard your eye faculty, how do you guard your eye faculty? See, seeing. Remember that. So, what does it mean? Again, I shall repeat. Uh, when you're just watching something, instead of being caught up with the object, you're actually aware of yourself observing object. It's a mental state. Okay? That particular mental state, for those of you who experience it, is a beautiful, quiet mental state. Yes? It's a quiet one. That's the one where it is possible for you to guard the sense basis. So in the same way, example, food. Food, usually not ceasing, but cease elevating. Okay? Nice food, assuming nice food. Okay? So you need to see yourself observing food. In other words, you have to see yourself being interested in food. You have to see there is growing desire, there is watching, there is desire. You have to see that. Then you can see whether you can let go or not. So the part where you can let go is when right at the start point, you see seeing. See seeing food. That's it. It's a mental state. It's a particular mental state. Just before you get into the food and get drawn in already. Does it make sense? Okay. Isn't it brilliant, the Buddha? So, at that mental state, at that mental state, when you can... <laughs> Sorry, I see the object. <laughs> it's okay. At the mental state where you can see seeing is the mental state where you can guard your faculties best. That is a time when you wouldn't get so caught up that you want 
and it hurts when you don't get it. So let me read the whole thing to you. Huh? What is striving by restraint? Here, having seen a form with the eye, the bhikkhu does not grasp its marks, nimitta, and features, anubhyajana, secondary features. Since if he left the eye faculty unrestrained, meaning he is not seeing things in that particular frame of mind, bad, unwholesome states of longing and dejection might invade him. They will ram into him. If you are unguarded, the instinct to crave, the instinct to want, and therefore the sense of dukkha is very fast invade, they will overwhelm you very fast. So therefore, you practice restraint over it, you guard the mind, the eye faculty, you undertake the restraint of the eye faculty. I love Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation, Chun Chun one, very accurate. Practices restraint. Practices restraint means you've got to do it again and again. Guard. To guard is to be protective. So you've got to practice and you've got to remember that it is important to protect. And you want to do it. Undertake the restraint. You want to do it. So you have to see that this has to be done. See what I'm saying? You have to see that this has to be done. You have to practice doing it because it's not a habit. And then you do it when you do remember. Because the ceasing state is not normal. It's not usual. When it becomes a habit, it's very normal. It comes on very spontaneously. But when it is not a habit, when you haven't practiced enough meditation, it's very difficult to get to the state. But I know some of you know what it is. Because I can see the understanding in your eyes. Okay? You know what it is. You're not sure perhaps? After this class, we can discuss this with the camera off. We can discuss this. But, but you have to understand that this is a mental state, a mental state where you can see seeing, and a mental state that you need to practice developing on a daily basis. And it's non-negotiable because this is part of the practice. I haven't got to the part why this is important, but this is important, okay? Now, we go on to the next one, right? The first one says you block. The second one says you let go. The Pali word is pahana. Okay? Pahana is to abandon, to let go. What is it that you have to let go? And here the Buddha said, does not tolerate. Na adi wait sati. Wasiti, sorry. Wasiti. Does not even allow, does not even put up with it. No tolerate and a reason sensual thought. Come on, we Remember we Witaka, we chara, everybody gets all odds hang up of witaka. Witaka is thought. The arising of a thought. Kama, look at the subsequent ones. Kama Biapada Wihimsa. What were those three words? In your Eightfold Path, in the Eightfold Path, the first one says Samaditi, right understanding. The second one says Samasankapa, right thought. 
In right thought, there are three things. Nekamma, renunciation. Weyapadda, aweyapadda, no ill will. Awihimsa, no cruelty. They are the three. So, on a daily basis, when there is an arising of craving, wanting, karma vitaka means a thought that is linked to sense delight. Sense delight, you must let it go. Here the Buddha says, because he's talking to bhikkhus, you have to let it go. When there is the arising of ill will, you have to let it go. Let it go. If there is the arising of instinct to beat up someone, cruelty, you have to let it go. They are all to do with the two critical things. One, to do with craving. The other one, to do with ego. A bhikkhu, a practitioner, has to let go of craving and ego. The I, the I. You are cruel when the I is in the picture. You will never use a nasty word on another person deliberately if the fellow has not puncture your ego. Many a times when we scold someone or we beat back, it's because we feel slighted. The ego got hurt. Otherwise, you're not cruel. By instincts, we're actually not nasty people. Or at least this class not nasty people. Like, <laughs> by instinct. But likewise, someone who is instinctively na- nasty, chances are the ego super big. Lah. Super, super big. Cannot tahan anybody uh, not showing proper respect. So it becomes nasty. Here, the Buddha is reminding practitioner that it's very easy, very easy for us on a day-to-day basis for the arising of attachment to visual delight, audio delight, taste delight, and so on and so forth. So the first step, you fail already. Uh, that's why the second step comes in. It's because you fail in samwara, so you now need to do the pahana. You get what I'm saying? If you had see seeing, there will not be the arising of craving. Ma. But because your see seeing tapake, not no standard, right? So see seeing, see seeing, then you cannot invade that really. Invasion of the worst kind came in. Then you got attached to your KFC. You got attached to your KFC, right? So now you have to kama witaka, let it go. See that? The first one failed, second one must back up. Goalkeeper come in. Okay? So this is your goalkeeper. Lah. And now look at what the Buddha say about how to let go. That's what I want to draw your attention to. He used the word pahana, abandon. Vinodeti. Vinodeti is to remove. Okay? The difference between abandon is to just let go. Ah. But the other one is to remove. You have to pull and you drop. It gets harder and harder. It gets, it gets more and fiercer and fiercer. The, after that, it says, Bianti karoti. Eh? Anti is end. Karoti is make end. So terminate. Lo. Okay. And the last one, Bower is to develop, and the bower is not to have it come out at all. So, translation obliterates. 
you can just imagine the word is not the same. The first word is just let go. The second one is Zhan Chao Bu Chu Gen, Chun Feng Chui Yu Shen. Okay, we move. Then the next one says, you you make sure no no roots come out. The last one oblique, and you put salt there. Put salt. Never ever. The idea here is it gets more and more tense. That you must put in the effort, and that in the effort that you put in, if this thing is going to overwhelm you, you got to try your darnest best to do it. Try your best to do it, and it gets intense. You just whack, okay? Does not even. Tolerate the next one. Be a partner. No ill will and no thought of harming. For a practitioner, these instincts have to be cultivated. So, in your day-to-day life, if you find yourself, you can see the arising of annoyance, right? You take this annoyance, you put it there. You take a hammer, obliterate, right? You actually erased it. No ill will. Just jam it there. Stop it. But this is a thought. See, the word is witaka. Witaka is a thought. It means to say you are still in control. It's I I tell you, it's brilliant. Basically, what he's saying is. All your this so-called instincts, ah, they are thoughts. You created them. The reason why they took on a life of their own is because you think about them. Ill will that pops up. If you had jammed it at the door, it would have stopped there. But no, sometimes we think about them. This guy is so annoying because, and then you think about it, right? It will then grow. Then you realize that you are doing it wrong already. They're going to let it go. You have to stop it. You see that? It is not just the arising of the sensation of ill will. The word here is witaka, viapada, witaka. So it is a case where there may be an arising of annoyance, but you went to think about it. You give it fuel. It comes alive. Now that it has come alive. You are obliged to stop it. If you're a practitioner, you will stop it. You don't think about it. You let it go. So it starts with you let it go. Then the thought comes up. You will then remove it. Then the thought continues. You will kill it, and then you will salt it. See that they are thoughts. They are alive. They proliferate. You you if you cannot stop it right at the start, then it gets harder and harder. Then you start jamming it, lor. You start beating it up. That's why the words gets tougher and tougher, you see. And the Buddha told his practitioner monk, "There's no two way about it. You should not have let it come up. It's because you failed to guard your sense bases properly. They all came up. Then now you have to get rid of them. Okay. Now comes the growing part. Bhavana development, growing. Okay. And what must a practitioner grow? The seven factors of enlightenment." You are you are practitioner. You are practitioner. 
you want to bring up in your daily life, you want to bring up, they are not natural, you bring it up. You want to bring up mindfulness, the instinct of the mind to reflect on Dhamma, investigation Dhamma. When you investigate, you develop energy, you get energetic, yes, yes, I will practice. I will block negativity, I will, I will develop positivities. You get inspired. The more you reflect on Dhamma, the more inspired you are. And then when you are inspired, with all this energy, you're very energetic, you have got PT, the delight will start. When you reflect on Dhamma in daily life, your delight will begin if you do it right. So if there is mindfulness, the mind is calm. And example, uh, Suppose, let's say, uh, something bad happens. Your house got flooded. <laughs> Coming through the door, your mind is disturbed. But suddenly, there is a mindfulness. There's a sudden awareness of a mindfulness. Okay, look, flooded. Let's see what we can do about this. You're aware of being mindful. And then you reflect, hey, one minute I was annoyed. Next minute, I feel better. This is really quite a nature. It's impermanent. See, my mental state just go in and out mentally impermanent. You derive a sense of, eh, this is Dhamma. How beautiful is Dhamma. The joy arises. And the joy arises, the mind comes down. This is a time when your mind becomes concentrated. When you are in that state and you are upeka, this is when you sit and meditate, you see more Dhamma. You see that? So, Buddha basically told the practitioner monk that on a daily basis, on a daily basis, this state, this complete seven-part series state should be a part of your life instinctively. Instinctively, okay? And you want to bring it up. If you don't have it, you bring it up. The last one. Ah, last one. Uh, forget about the cops and all. Since we are not working in a hospital, very difficult to look for cops. Actually, the main thing is the word object of concentration, nimitta samadhi, the Buddha's word for it. Basically, in your daily life, if you have instinctively an object of concentration, it might well be just breath. It may well be just breath. You think about it, okay? If let's say you use breath as an object of focus, right? Imagine your daily life, you just sit. The moment you see your breath, your mind is calm. The moment you see it, the mind is calm. He needs you to constantly build that. Or if you were to use metta as the meditation object, right? The moment your mind is quiet, metta comes up. Built it. Why are you doing all these things? Why do you want to have this kind of striving? Because collectively, it enables your mind quieten down and get it ready to see Dhamma collectively. Together, when these things are practiced, if you can do the restraint, you can let go, the pahana, you can do your bhavana, the development of the seven factors of enlightenment. If you have an object that you can concentrate and in normal daily life, your mind can actually go there and keep, stay there quiet. You have all these things done properly, your virya is good. The virya part is good. 
okay? And this is where the mind, under normal circumstances, will grow spiritually. Will grow spiritually. Okay? How do you bring up this energy of Virya? That's the next one. Hey, my sister, very good, eh? Pass. What bhikkhu is the faculty of virya? What is this faculty of virya, the energy? The noble disciple dwells with the energy aroused for the abandoning of unwholesome state and the acquisition of wholesome ones. The word is strong, firm in exertion, not shirking the responsibility. The energy you need to bring up and keep it flowing, keep it strong, don't give up. And you are mindful, you are mindful that it is important to do it like that. The responsibility, you have to understand that in this practice, all this has to be done. You, you need to get, actually, I kid you not, you really got to memorize these things, get it into your system, memorize it. I do that. And then in your daily life, right, you see the arising of something, you know what you're supposed to do already. You walk as you walk. I was doing this in a shopping mall today. I went for lunch. Lah. But I was just thinking, you know, as you were walking, you can actually go into a state of seeing. And all these shops don't matter. They're just there. People don't matter. I probably missed don't know how many of my colleagues even realised they were there. But you're just walking. And you see, see, which is why the monks, when they go for arms, right, right practitioners, they take their bow and they just look ahead and they walk. This is seeing. This is guarding their faculties. They're not seeing anything else. So it's like you see and yet not see, but you are aware of seeing. Okay? And you do the same for all your faculties. So that is restraint. And then comes the letting go. It's letting go of your ill will, letting go of your craving for sense objects, sense objects, letting go of the ego. That's all. You see the arising, you obliterate it, just kill it, let it go. Usually, uh, for me, letting go can. Uh. No need to kill it. No need. Uh. You just, just let it go. It will go away. Because, because, why? Because if you know it has to be done for your own meditation, for your own practice, you know it has to be done. You feel obliged to do it. Then you will do it. That's why the word, the responsibility of it. If you don't feel obliged to do it, right? it's okay. Never mind. Ah, then never mind. Lah. You won't do it. Lah. It's not your responsibility. Bukwan. Whereas I feel it very intensely that I need to do it. It has to be done. If, it is, if it's not done correctly, I can't meditate properly that night. And then you do it. Okay? Okay. Um, the next one, Samyutta Nikaya under nutriment, specifically on Virya, Buddha said, what is the nutriment? For the arising of virya, if you don't have virya, what can help to bring it up? 
And he said, you need to first go and stir it. Arousal. Arambah. Arambah. The word arambah. Datu is, dat, dahatu means element. Arambah is just arouse. Okay? Stir it, stir it up. That's why I said, virya got three parts. Stir it, keep it going, and wham it. It's, so he is so sharp, right? He is seeing the energy as it comes up. Get it? For us, we hear the word virya, energy, we just say energy, you know, striving, effort. You don't realize that there is a process. It starts small, it becomes bigger, and it has to get bigger, then it can be sustained. Like a tsunami, whatever. <laughs> but first, it has to be stirred up. So, suppose let's say, you think about your own life, right? Some days you don't feel like meditating, yes? I mean, most days you all want to meditate, of course. But some days you don't feel like lah. So what do you have to do? You have to stir it. Must go, I must go. I really must do it. So you sit. I will do it. And then you start. And then I will do it because now your energy starts ready. Get it? So it's like starting the car. That's where your fourth gear. Okay? And he says, there are because the element of arousal, the element of endeavor, means you try, the element of exertion. I am sorry, I went to check the dictionary. The words are like that. Okay? Frequently giving careful attention. This is the part I need you to understand. Giving careful attention to them is the nutriment for the arising of the unreason enlightenment factor of energy and the fulfillment by development of the arisen enlightenment factor of energy. So you stir it up. After you stir it up, you watch the energy. You observe the energy. Why do you want to do that? Because when you see it, you feel more inspired by it. If you feel energized, you look at energy, you will have more energy. If you have joy, you look at joy, the joy will grow. You understand? If you have joy and you don't pay attention to joy, joy is going away. It will fade away. Which is why when there is negativity, actually one way of dealing with negativity is you ignore it. Slap it aside. Don't pay attention to it. Then it will lose energy. If you get angry with someone, don't think about the thought, it will die. If you get angry with someone, and you think about it, you think about it, think about it, then it will become tsunami. Uh, wrong energy. Wrong energy. <laughs> exactly. Okay? You know, when I read, read this, and when I was going through this, right, the only thing I, can, I kept thinking is, how in the world man 2,500 years ago be so enlightened? This is almost talking like a modern man, you know. It's almost talking like a man of the 21st century, and we will call this man an enlightened gentleman. But this is so many years ago. And then he went on, and this is the final part of the talk this evening. 
why are we having all these conversations about sila, about effort? Why is this effort all about doing the right thing, not doing the bad thing, keeping the mental space clean? And it is this conversation. This is the important conversation that you need to understand. Ananda asking Buddha, what is the purpose and benefit of wholesome, virtuous behaviour? Why do you want to observe sila? Why do you want to observe the right effort? Okay? Buddha replied, Ananda, purpose and benefit of wholesome, virtuous behaviour is non-regret. I put in the Pali word just for the heck of it. Non-regret. Okay? Then, Ananda asked, what is the purpose and benefit of non-regret? But uh, Buddha said, the purpose and benefit of non-regret is joy. In other words, if your conscience is free, you will have a sense of joy. Your heart is clear. Okay? When your heart is clear, you can experience a state of tranquility quietness. When you have tranquility, then you have within you happiness, delight. Okay? With the delight, with this happiness, then only then the mind can concentrate. Samadhi. Only then can the mind concentrate. Which is why if you are depressed, the mind cannot concentrate. People who are depressed, you ask them to meditate, you want them to go it's going to be very problematic. They can't concentrate. Instead, all they're seeing is pain, 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 pain. They'll go crazy seeing pain. So that's why in this practice, you have to start off with developing the joy first. And once you develop the joy, the mind gets quiet, it's happy. It's happy, it can sit. It can sit, it can focus. It can focus, the rest will come. The purpose of this I kept saying that we need to prepare the mind, we need to prepare the mind. Is this, it's because of this. When the mind can concentrate, it's a particular type of concentration, you will have yatha buddha jnana dasana. Yatha buddha is things as they really are. Jnana is knowledge, dasana is vision. So, if you can concentrate properly, the mind is quiet. When it looks at the mind, the mind can see itself as it really is. Objectively, quietly, without all kinds of thought construction, it's seeing itself. Part 2 of the lecture will say what that seeing things you're supposed to see. Okay? Here, I'm telling you what will happen to the mind that can concentrate. So a mind that's concentrate gets to a state where it's quiet, and it can see itself, the mind itself, for what it is. And once you can see that, Nibidda Viragga will happen. Nibidda, aversion, disgust, weariness, siena, happens. Viragga, you turn away. So this is how it looks. Huh? You see the mind as it is, and you keep seeing the mind as it is, at some point, the mind by itself will get tired, fed up, not interested, it will turn away. 
it will turn away. I kept saying the example, I used the example of you eat. What was the example I used? Mi siam, mi siam. You eat mi siam, one plate, two plate, three plate, by the fourth plate, you tired ready. You sien ready. Sien ready, you turn away, right? Then you turn away, are you going to be obsessed about mi siam again? No more obsession, really. Misiava, misiava. Oh, no, 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 not interested. Laksa. Not interested. Yeah. Start laksa. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> no, the point is, the point is, in our daily life, in our daily life, our mind chase after object, chase after object. Okay. In this meditation mind, when the mind is very quiet, it doesn't chase. It sits there and keeps watching craving. Watch, watch, watch. Actually, this is using you're using the mind to watch craving energy in the mind. You're using it to watch the craving energy in the mind. You keep seeing the arising, the energy, the energy. You keep seeing it, keep seeing it. See? See until the mind got tired of that particular type of sensation. And then it's not scared of it anymore, it's not interested. It will turn away from craving. It turns away from craving by itself. Okay? And then because it turned away, that's why you have Vimuti Nyana Dasana. This is what you want. Vimuti Nyana Dasana. The whole path, enlightenment, is about this, the last bit. The knowledge and the vision of. I, I really got some effect here. <laughs> Liberation. A freed mind. Mimuti. The mind is free. Nibbana. This is Nibbana. The mind is very happy. It's free. So, what it tells you is there is a process. A process that takes the mind from the mundane mind that we are familiar with to a mind that is free, happy, rejoiced by itself, the joy that stems from within the mind, creates by itself, self-generating one. No need the world to go and, I give you promotion, then you're happy. I give you money, then you're happy. I sayang you, you're happy. You don't need any of this. It feeds itself. And it's no craving. It's because there's no craving that it is so free. Okay? Now, this comes from Book of Ten. Uh, I, hey, hello. My, uh, see that? The Book of Ten. What purpose? Okay, sorry, sorry. You earlier on, you mentioned about the ten Those have to do with the preparation bit. They're all preparation. For a practitioner, you go through a process of growth. So when you first set off, you try to do these things. You try to do these things. Okay. Then when you become more and more of a practitioner, those things become second nature already. It becomes part of habit. You will just do it because you just want to do it like that. Okay. And as you are doing these things, your mind will start to grow because it starts to calm down, it starts to be happier, it starts to be able to meditate, it starts to be able to see itself. When it starts to see itself, it's, it gets even more settled. It's an it's a, it's a iterative process. 
It will grow and it will walk. And it will grow and it will walk. It's an iterative process. Okay? And then as it starts to grow and starts to come down, you will also begin to realise why you have to do it like that. What is, what is the benefit? Why you have to do it like this? Why is the path like that? Why are the prescriptions like this? Now, for some of you, right now, what, whatever I'm saying is based on prescription. As you walk this path and you begin to understand the principle underpinning why it must be done like this, as you start to understand, then it becomes second nature, right? And when it becomes second nature, you will know it has to be like that. This is how my mind will grow. And as you see your mind grow, you get even more inspired by the path and the way it's prescribed. And you will then do it spontaneously. No need the rules. With the precepts, who are precepts? The life is just like that. It becomes second nature. Okay? Okay. And I saw the link because that is the underpin, is the foundation. Exactly. So when you sort of have inculcated that, yes. then you go on to the mind. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So when you're tested, you still have to go back to the foundation. Again. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Because you understand the foundation. Okay? Foundation must rest on something solid. Yes, Okay. No, that's where action starts. Because now you understand the action will start. Okay. The noble disciple who is completely dedicated to the Takagata and has full confidence in him does not doubt Buddha or his teaching. Last week, we, the last time we talked about Sattva, this is the start point. You see that? So the Buddha essentially is saying, if you, have the, if you understand and your Sattva is solid, it is a very powerful and important springboard to the next level. It's a springboard. And you must not, it cannot be an empty Sattva. The last time we say it has to be built on a correct foundation. And the correct foundation is a very mundane, simple understanding of the application of the Four Noble Truths in your life. Everything he said, it makes a simple, obvious link in your own life. That's your foundation. And once you see that simple foundation, you say, yes, Buddha's words make a lot of sense. I want to do something about it. So you start. You start with all your restraint. You start with all your um, controlling what, what are the negativities, what are the positivities. You start to do that. And you start to see yourself becoming calmer, becoming happier. Your mind becoming more quiet only start point, this is all start point, but enough to give you confidence, to say, he's right. Whatever he say, up to this point, still tuned, okay? So, it is to be expected that he who has faith 
will dwell with energy aroused for doing the following things. That's the reason why this lecture has to be virya, you see. Because you have faith, with faith you say, I will do what he says must be done. So I will arouse the energy to clean up the mental space. Because if you don't clean up the mental space, you can't get to the next part. He who, is, who has faith and has energy will be mindful. And with mindfulness established, he will gain concentration. With the correct type of concentration, he will understand. Okay? This five things are what you call the five faculties or the five power. Same. The five of them together, you can see. One set. They must be one set. Cannot pick and choose. I, I, I think I need to sunder this life. Well, you need five lives to do the rest. <laughs> you will not get to the rest. By the way, uh, if you say, this life I do only sunder, right? Next life I will start with viriya. It won't happen. Next time you start again sunder. Because by, by then you forgot already, ma. What is sunder? What is sunder? Huh? You will start all over again. So this life you've got to do all five. Okay? All five has to be done. So ultimately, Viriya is about keeping the mental space pure, positive, because they are fundamentally necessary for your meditation and your concentration. And without this meditation and without this concentration, there's no way, no way you can see the mind as it is. Seeing the mind as it is, uh, is not the end of the story. Okay, you must always remember that. Seeing the mind as it is, means, if you understand it correctly, it means you can let it go. Your mind can turn. If you don't see the mind as it is, all your effort to let go will dissipate one. It cannot be sustained. <coughs> means it starts, stop, start, stop, start, stop. Your car is not going very far. La. It's on the AYE where you can go at 80, you go at 20. Then everybody hong, 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 hong. Your mind. Mental space is essentially the, the mind. But I call it a mental space because the mind sounds very cluttered, you see. A lot of activities. Whereas for me, as a practitioner, the mind is not so cluttered. There are not so much activities. There's not so many arising of thoughts. When there are many, many thoughts, your mind space is crowded, it's busy, and you can't see the space. Think of it like this room, okay? This is your mind. If you throw everything out, but keep Buddha here, everything else you throw out, <laughs> you throw everything out, you can see the floor space, you see? It's empty. Then whatever enters, you can tell. And you know how to lock the unnecessary one out, and you can let the necessary one in. You know it. But if, if you are so crowded, right, so many thoughts, so disturbed, you sampapalapa, 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 all the time, then this space has got so many things, you can't even see the floor. You didn't even know it's so nice and white. 
All you see is just a lot, a lot of plastic bag everywhere. <laughs> it's a mess. No space. No space, no practice. Too crowded. Does it make sense? Yes. <laughs> so the yes. Like yes. Yes. Energy. Yes. They are all interlinked. Yeah. yeah. And they are all part of the mental space. Yes. It is to create the correct mental space. Okay? The last part you can, you can read by yourself. It's both a tool and a condition of the mind. Can you see that? Yes. It is a tool necessary for the practice and it's there as a condition in the mind. Create the correct condition, you will be able to practice. Okay? Any other question? Can you see how important the virya is? If you, on a daily basis, right, on a daily basis, if you're not even making an attempt to clean up the mind, clean up the mental space, and you allow a lot of clutter to develop, a lot of anger, a lot of pain, a lot of craving, a lot of restlessness, right? What happens is that the mind becomes very restless. The mind has a lot of, of um, disturbance. When you sit to meditate, right, you spend a lot of time trying to calm down all the disturbances and you don't get it calmed down properly either. You may end up chasing after stray thoughts. They say, oh, no, 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 come back, come back, come back. Watch the breath. <laughs> I haven't sorted this one yet. And it runs off again. It's very obvious. But when you're, you spend a whole day let, dropping all the anger, don't allow any negativities to come out, you have craving, okay, watch, watch the, the, the mind. Huh? When you do that a lot, you sit that night, it's very easy for the mind to settle. Because it's used to the practice the whole day, ma. it's used to your disciplining it the whole day, then it's easy to sit. When you sit, it will stay. The only thing about whether or not you will stay, uh, you're, you're able to sustain the meditation is whether you are sitting too late at night or end up sleeping. La. And then, you know, you can focus very fast, right? What happens is that when you can focus, this is a talk for meditation, the meditation one, but just as a preamble, when you are very quiet the whole day, okay, then that night when you sit and you're tired because you sat late, you go into a concentration so fast, the delight is so strong you fall asleep. Happy. Happy, okay? Tomorrow wake up charged, but no wisdom. <laughs> All you have is just a very charged mind, a very happy mind, but no wisdom. Because to have wisdom, you've got to stay awake. It can turn both ways, okay? It can turn both ways. You can be happy and the energy surges and you will not sleep. It's bright and shiny. Or it will be so nice, so nice, so nice, so nice. Okay? It all depends on individual's practice. Chan, I, I, I notice uh, that people who, uh, people who are more... Um, who have insomnia problem, ah, they won't sleep. So meditation is actually very good for them. They, they, because the mind doesn't need a lot of sleep, you see, the poor guys. So they, you know, assuming that you're insomnia but not, uh, not disturbed, 
it's not that they have insomnia. Some people just don't need a lot. There are no people who need only three hours sleep. That's it, three hours. Okay. For these kind of people, meditation is solid because they won't sleep. In the end, they're the very happy state, bright. Yeah. Whereas for people with no insomnia, right, the sort who five minutes go to bed, stare. <laughs> Those type, uh, the ones who sleep very easily, ah, when you sit meditation, right, same. You're going to sit and very easily fall asleep. Ah, but my advice to them, for uh, my advice to people who are the lucky ones who fall asleep easily, is sleep. Sit up and sleep. Okay? Then when you wake up, continue. Be this time around, you won't sleep. The mind is satisfied already. <laughs> when you sleep the first time round, try to tell your mind, I give you 10 minutes to rest. So that you don't have to sit 3 hours. But it is important to meditate. I cannot emphasize this enough. You want to see Nibbana, right? Or you want what? Next life, they start. This life, do the Next life, do Virya. The following life, do what? Concentration. By then, forgot everything. Start again. Next. Cannot. Uh. Has to be done all one shot. But, but then you see, uh, regarding this Virya, right? Energy and effort. In the normal people path, effort is the thing, right? So, Virya part of effort. Virya is effort. Yeah. Same. Wayama, same. 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 Effort, not you. The to, to no, this right effort is the same, same one. Yeah, yeah. same with this one. Well, I see, you see, I see that you, you look at the at your, this one, uh, four effort, second of the indie. Something. Yes. And then when I look at it, it should be. Yeah, I think it's the same, right? It is the same. You see, you look at the what I wrote there, right? Four right effort. This okay. is this the first one says for right effort. The second one Idipadda, the second one of Indriya, second one of Bala, the third one of Bujanga. Bujanga because why? Mindfulness, Dhamma uh, the Dhamma investigation, and Vidya. That's the third one. And then you see third, fourth, fifth, sixth of the eightfold path. That's how. Third one is right action, fourth one right speech, fifth one right livelihood, sixth one right effort. It's not even funny, you know. This virya is everywhere. You need the energy. No, it's not the energy, it's the energy for what? And the energy for controlling the mental space, cleaning it up. The energy for cleaning up your mental space. It's not energy to chong, it's the it's energy, energy to spring clean. Buddha didn't use the word determination. It's not. Buddha used the word energy. Adittana is determination. Adittana. But he didn't use Adittana for these guys. He used the word Viriya. What's the difference? Adittana is only one type of Viriya. Adittana is only a one. Exactly. You concentrate and you actually want to do so. You're determined to Adittana is one thing. One thing. Okay? So, chanda is a form of one thing. I want to get it done. I need to get it done. I will insist on getting it done. That's Adittana. 
This one is virya. It's a, it's a resource. It is an energy. It is the drive. Then the drive to do what? The drive to keep the mental space clean. This is just energy. It's Duracell battery. So you must have that to kickstart the Which one? energy, the determination that no. you must start from there. It, well, therefore, it's only one part of it. Correct, yes. Ah. Correct. The part that you arouse it, yes. lah. Arouse it, yes. You need, you need to be very focused and determined. I'm going to do this because I need to get the end stage. I must have this start. I must have the starting point. And then after that, it's energy will keep it momentum. That one is chanda. Chanda. The one thing to get it done. It's a form of chanda. Okay. You can think of it like. Mm, this, as I said, this is Duracell battery. But your Duracell battery can put where? Where do you want to put your Duracell battery? Here, the Buddha said, put this Duracell battery on keeping your mental space clean. Put this Duracell battery on cleaning up the space. So, you say, I want to put the Duracell battery in cleaning. That one is only a start point. But you can one and not go anywhere. If you have no Duracell battery, right? You say, I want to do it. Then I've got no battery. Then we can Yes, I'm saying? So the one thing, you have to pack it with this Duracell battery. La, and then it goes. Huh? So the one thing is not enough. You must have that, the energy. And the energy is self-generated. It's generated by desire. La. You generate by desire. Because he says, generate desire for something. So you're correct uh, in that sense. Okay? So the bottom line is, you see, in your daily life, first you must believe that you have to be a nice person. You have to clean up the space. You have to let go of your anger. You have to let go of your craving and all those things. Okay? First you say, I have to do it. Uh. Sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes I get caught up. Sometimes I forget. Sometimes I'm not mindful, etc., etc. But I recognize it has to be done. So that's the first step. You have wisdom or not? Can you recognize it has to be done? So you say, now I recognize it has to be done. Am I doing it? And if I, am, I recognize that it has to be done and I'm trying to do it, am I doing it right? How do I know I'm doing it right? Buddha provides the, the list. There are four of them. Not difficult to, to, to remember. Restrain. Let go, develop, protect. Anuraka, protect. So, do all these things so that the mind can get into a quiet state and it can see things as they are. I keep saying this thing about seeing things as they are, and I, I, you know, we are only at lecture two. Uh. The, real, the reality is, it's only lecture two. Sadda is one, virya is two. I didn't do anything else, right? No. There are many more, right? So the question is, how come two already, I can see how my mind is supposed to grow. What about the rest? The rest is to teach you how to see things as they are. These two is to prepare the mind. Some of the others are meant to teach you how to see things as they are. Those are skills. 
specific type of skills, specific cognitive skills required for this journey. And we need to go through that one carefully. Okay? <laughs>